welcome to the Agri-Food Comms Cast, bringing you the story behind the story on the big topics of the day in our industry. We're exploring how different organisations in food and farming have been responding to the COVID-19 crisis, which has been a big theme of recent weeks. So do listen back to hear reactions from the hard hit dairy supply industry, how the horticultural sector is responding to the recruitment challenge and the enormously successful initiative to promote UK artisan cheesemakers. Now, today, we continue the theme of how the industry has transitioned from survival mode, giving way to innovation across retail and processing. But we're also relieved to know that not all marketing plans have been assigned to the shredder and that some pre-COVID issues are still top of mind for some. And it's National Barbecue this week, so we can't go without digging a little deeper into how this leading awareness week is reaching out to fans in new ways. So our first guest today is Sophie Throop, who is Head of Agriculture at Morrison's. Welcome, Sophie. Thank you very much for having me. So we know that the pandemic has obviously caused some tremendous unplanned logistical challenges for supermarkets and indeed their supply chains. It's been a very, very interesting uh, few months now, and uh, I think we've all lost sense of time, actually, um, between uh, pre-COVID and, uh, and where we are now. As you describe, it's been, uh, it's been very dynamic. So when the pandemic first started, um, along with every other retailer, we're very focused on um, availability, um, keeping the shelves filled as our customers were trying to get their heads around about the impending sort of crisis that was coming up and how they were going to feed their families who were now staying at home most of the time instead of going out to work or to school, but also how we could keep our colleagues and our customers safe through social distancing. And so there was a lot to think about as a business. As you say, a couple of weeks in and availability had started to normalise a little bit more. We were able to set back and just think about what else it is that we could do as a retailer to help our colleagues and our customers and our suppliers, really. We're so much a part of our local communities, we wanted to understand how we could do our bit to help. So that started in several different ways. I mean, we've done various different things at Morrison's from opening stores early for NHS workers and also giving them a 10% off to say thank you very much for everything that they're doing to help us at this really difficult time. But also we're starting to think about how our customers could access us and how we could work to try and help them get the food that they really needed. So that was where things like delivery slots online uh, were starting to become very, very challenging. So you know, we sort of um, had lots of different ideas as a business, which included doorstep deliveries through telesales and uh, and sort of launching a whole new food box business, which I'll go on to talk about in a moment or two. But it was thinking from my perspective, so I look after agriculture and fisheries for Morrison's. We've always had a huge commitment to and loyalty to the British farmers and growers um, who make such fantastic food all the year round and have been with us um, for many, many years, generations of farmers. Um, that we buy directly from. And so we were really thinking about how we could do our bit to help them. Brilliant. So tell us a little bit more about the actual initiatives that you'd introduced. You mentioned the food boxes, for example, and uh, how they very much evolved. And it was, like you say, very dynamic, responsive scenario. So we knew that uh, with changes in customer shopping habits, whether they was buying a lot more mints to feed their families, but also with the closure of food service and as no longer going out to restaurants as a country and reductions in exports, it was having a really big knock on effect on farm gate prices 
and also the whole carcass balance you know we were no longer eating those steaks and those prime cuts that are needed to add value back to the farmers so being a, a retailer as, a, and a processor as well through having our own manufacturing sites and abattoirs we felt we were in a position to help do something about this and stimulate a bit of extra demand and it's really that creation of demand that could help make the difference. So there's a couple of things that we did. So for starters, we wanted to promote and reprofile British and British farming. So as a business, we decided to wrap the Sun newspaper with a full page advert back and front, um, encouraging customers to thank British farmers by buying British. And we focused on mints and on milk for those two products because they were the ones that were in biggest need of support. We then, having sort of started to talk about the British a lot more, which really goes back to our heritage, been supporting British, you know, for years and years and generations of farmers that we buy directly from. We wanted to be able to do more to be able to create demand for these great products that our farmers bring to us all the time. So we wanted to create, as our chief executive put it, an explosion of support for British. And so this came through uh, opening our steak counters and our seafood bars. So this was something that happened so rapidly in the business. We'd had to close counters because social distancing and thinking about availability. But within 10 days, we opened um, our counters, rebranded as steak and seafood bars. And with a half price promotion on British meat and British fish um, to encourage customers to come back into those prime cuts of meat and to start buying steaks again and to start buying prime cuts to help carcass balance for the farmers and to start buying a lot more British fish as well. And it was uh, phenomenally successful. So we know from the figures that we got that actually in that first week of opening our counters, uh, over 50% of the steak bought in the UK was bought through Morrison's, which considering our market share is a pretty big achievement. And we know that we helped stimulate some extra market and other sort of support that was that went on to, as well with other retailers to help drive some prices back into that farm gate and to drive some value back to the farmers which was really encouraging to see you were talking about food boxes before too and, mm. and so food boxes has been like a whole new business enterprise really for Morrison's so we started off on food boxes just thinking about it from a, an essentials box really so right at the very sort of beginning um, of the of the pandemic we just sort of got settled through the availability we launched a, a meat eaters box and a vegetarian box for customers particularly who couldn't get into stores or couldn't get a delivery slot online very easily so just to be able to click to request a meat eaters or a vegetarian box uh, was something we felt would hopefully help flow essential products through to customers. And they were so well received that we could see there was other things that we could do with these boxes. So just two weeks later, we launched a ready meals box um, and a family meat box, which again, for considering the situation for beef and for meat uh, was really important. So we did a family meat box. But then since that time, we've done a Ramadan box and a fish box and a best meat box and a gluten-free box and a barbecue box and Brilliant. also a, an afternoon tea box for VE day. So there's been all sorts of different food boxes that have come and it's been a really sort of a different way of doing business, but also a great way of creating new routes to market. Do you think, Sophie, that there's there's something in the, the changes to what we've seen happen in recent weeks? Are some of these changes here to stay in terms of uh, the buying habits or do you think everything will just revert back to the old normal? 
Well, it's quite hard to predict, really, because it's very difficult to understand how long things are going to go on for. And, you know, this it's, it feels like a very fluid situation. You know, we, we're having to adapt to change all the time. We've always had very strong British buying credentials. Um, we've been 100% um, British for fresh meat for since 2017 and you know, for milk and eggs as well and produce when in season. So our general principles haven't changed. I think it's the way that we've been able to profile things has become a lot bolder in these last couple of months. And certainly we know our customers have really responded well to that. I mean, I talked to a, a little bit earlier about how successful the meat counters were, but on the, on the fish side, we're selling 60% more British fish now than we used to to do uh, and that's through sort of promotions whether they're being priced but also in profile so there's a real sort of need um, for customers to to buy into British at the moment and we we know our customers have always valued actually because we've surveyed them every year and they rate supporting British farmers as number two or number three as their top priorities list um, for the last couple of years so if we can do our part to help bring fantastic British produce from our farms and growers to our customers, then hopefully everybody's winning. Brilliant. I mean, it does very much feel like there's a, a big appetite to be thinking about the provenance of food and, and where it comes from. So what about connecting with farmers and consumers and generating that wider dialogue, Sophie? I think that's a really important area and somewhere that we've started to do a lot more work and uh, can certainly see a lot more um, future in this. So we have been long term supporters of things like Farm24 um, and uh, doing those online social media events. However, in the last couple of months um, through the coronavirus, we wanted to be able to give our farmers a voice and help them tell their story and help um, get it across to customers. And so we um, started to do more blogs and vlogs from our farmers um, describing how support by customers and how buying British was helping them as a business. And that sort of connection and getting customers and farmers to understand each other more and to have more of a, a dialogue, I think, is is a role that we have to play. And it also helps to just put the people behind the great British products that are made. And we're all human and we all like social media and we all understand, you know, that it's great to get that human story. And for us to be able to help share that, I think, is, is really important. Absolutely. I mean, we talk a lot in our business about storytelling and uh, making human connections. And that really is so important in uh, really resonating and ensuring that a, a message really comes across. So we've talked a lot about the supply chain challenges of the COVID-19 world in today's and previous episodes. But I was intrigued to find out that OSI, a global food solutions company who've teamed up with beef processor Pickstocks Telford, that they've taken on some of the recent logistical challenge in the beef supply chain very much in their stride and remain focused on some of the pre-COVID challenges. Claire Donoghue is Operations Director and EU Head of Sustainability at OSI. So Claire, before we talk about some of your other initiatives, perhaps you could just give us a bit of a flavour as to how your business, that I know your big supplier to McDonald's, has coped with such a massive transition to new markets, obviously the closure of McDonald's in reaction to COVID-19 and, and now reverting back again, as I believe the, the fast food chain is uh, tentatively reopening. It was a major challenge, you know, um, you know, it was completely unprecedented circumstances. Food service, um, the entire food service essentially turned off overnight um, and it did have a, a major impact on, on every processor in the country. But I suppose, look, 
Retail demand did increase. Um, okay, albeit not with the same product mix. We were incredibly lucky in Pigstock with the team that, that we have in place there. Right across the board, everyone on site uh, really pulled together um, and their lives were being impacted at home too. You know, we were all seeing the, the same news. I mean, the workers on the floor had to, to very, very quickly adapt to um, a whole host of new COVID measures with a new dynamic and a new day-to-day routine for the business. And procurement staff were, were buying cattle without going, going out to the farm. So quite a different landscape from everyone there. Um, and every single one of them did come through. Our MD in Pickstock understands that Farmers just can't explain to to cattle that there's a pandemic going on. They do need to continue. We are very, very fortunate to work with customers who do have best in class practices. You know, throughout this whole process in the last nine or 10 weeks now, we have had weekly updates, which has allowed us, you know, to be in a position to plan and and to make production schedules to align with with customer demands as they are changing from the the spike in retail to a gradual reopening right across Europe, you know, which will impact the the beef business in the UK. Brilliant. It's just good to know that everyone's really stepped up to the mark. Yeah, I really can't call out our staff enough. Um, It's been incredible. They have just answered every every challenge, every demand that's been put on them. You know, our sales team has had to change their ways of working and the people they're working with. Um, and likewise, you know, dealing with them, them different people from different customers. Moving on to some of the pre-COVID issues that companies such as yourself have been involved in. You know, I know uh, a lot of marketing plans have really not gone quite to plan but uh, we've been very much hearing in the news of of recent times about how daily carbon emissions gone dramatically down compared to pre-covid lessons pre-covid levels so does that mean the red meat sectors off the hook yeah you know i i read an interesting article during the week that um mentioned that you know, emissions are 17% down on a day-to-day level within the UK. Um, and the, the undercurrent through it was, you know, um, cattle are still in the fields, farmers are still working. And, you know, while that may be true, I think these types of responses to carbon agriculture are a part of our problem, really, and part of the public perception of our problem. We can't stick our head in the sands here. Like consumers have legitimate concerns with brief production and we need to answer them. You know, we need to dispel the myths and the half-truths, which there are a lot of. We need to move away from fighting them and explain what we actually are doing to address these because as an industry, we are actually doing a lot. There's a lot of different initiatives and um, and impacts that are out there, but our, our narrative often doesn't match the work that is actually underway, um, which is a real shame for the industry. You know, the, the International Institute of European Affairs report um, back in February on the global 2050 targets uh, and plans for carbon reductions, I think for the first time probably um, actually called out agriculture as a way to to hit these targets and to, to achieve some of these reductions. And to me, anyway, that's where we need to be focusing. You know, we need to be focusing our work on on how we are actually going to, to tap into this potential, you know, with things like carbon sequestration, different farming techniques and technology. You know, that's where we need to be focusing our, our good story here um, rather than, I suppose, taking a a sidestep and a hiatus that maybe has been granted. That's good to know and, and really positioning agriculture as part of the solution rather than part of the problem, I guess. But as you say, there are 
legitimate concerns out there and think there can be a temptation in these circumstances. And, you know, there's been a lot of chatter on social media about, you know, how carbon emissions and yet yeah, agriculture's carried on. You know, what what are you doing as a business to sort of support opening a dialogue with the public on on the issue? Yeah, so I suppose um in OSI and Pickstock and and look my own personal opinion, um we feel that collaboration is is the key here uh for sustainability. I mean these are these are industry issues. Um so we need to be answering them as as an industry, um, which is quite a a different approach for the the beef industry anyway. Um so I suppose in what we're doing OSI uh, through Nicole Johnson Hoffman have chaired the uh, Global Roundtable for Sustainable Beef for the last two years now. Uh, I myself have uh, personally led the technical working group for the for the European Roundtable. Um, so yeah, we've been working a lot on setting measurable targets against beef sustainability. And in more recent times, we've been involved in the setup of the UK platform to to collaborate collaboratively answer them questions um, for the UK. Um, closer to home uh, in Pickstock, Greg has uh, set up his own farm in, uh, in Brongain there as a trial and research facility. So they're currently running trials in collaboration with a number of experts in the fields on things like antibiotics, genetics, dairy bull beef calf rearing, which, is, which has got a lot of press this year um rotational grazing and, and general farm management um and all of this work is being put back to a financial impact so i suppose yeah we really want to walk the walk uh, and operate a, a do as we do mentality rather than you know do as we say um so yeah we've already seen some great results from some of these trials especially around antibiotics and and grazing with increasing um daily live weight gain there which can all be put back to a financial benefit for the farmer. Um, and that's absolutely critical here. You know, farmers, no more than any other bunch of people, uh, need to see it at a practical level. You know, there's nothing like seeing a farm down the road that can do it. So then why can't I? Mm-hmm. Um, so some of the results from these these trials we're sharing with our, our focus groups that we've set up in the evenings um, out on the farm there and different initiatives like open days, so, yeah, the response from the farming community around this has been absolutely incredible. It's been so positive, um, far more than I think any of us thought uh, it would be. So we're really going to be stepping this this up and bringing this forward uh, when we do when we do finally get uh, the go ahead to open up the gates again in a in a post covid world. Brilliant. So, I mean, I think, you know, these sorts of initiatives that are really promoting the dialogue and, and you know, bringing the facts to the fore as to really what the the situation is with with beef and, and carbon and other con- concerns. Um, you know, I think it is part of, of that has been a real driver towards some of the vegan diets, meat alternatives, you know, that have obviously uh, gained quite a lot of, of traction. Do you feel that there's sort of a permanent trend in that direction or or is there sort of a place for the red meat sector to to somehow compete with that? Oh, absolutely. Um, and I think the, the red meat sector is competing, you know, um, like, the meat-free sector, the vegan uh, section of the supermarket, isn't new, um, and it's not going anywhere either. Um, they have been 
they've been around for for quite some time you know i suppose the difference fundamentally with the products that are out now is they are actually been targeted as meat eaters as an alternative um so i mean very very clever genius marketing strategy um but i mean as an industry our best response is to answer the concerns that the consumers have and that are being raised um, by these campaigns, you know, and we need to respond with with factual data driven responses and show that there is a benefit and there is a plus side to the industry, too. I mean, we have a great product in British beef and, you know, it can 100 percent deliver on a quality, taste and nutrition side. Um, so, yeah, I do believe there's space for both the, the meat free alternatives and meat on the on the retail shelves. The issue of meat alternatives leads me nicely on to our next guest, Brian George, the founder of National Barbecue Week that we are actually now right in the midst of. We'll be hearing more about how plans for this leading National Awareness Week have had to adapt in recent weeks. But before we do, having just heard from a major beef processor on the subject, I'm keen to find out if the rise of the vegan diet is perhaps a cause for concern for Barbecue Week. Well, there should be no real, real cause for concern because just about anything you can cook in the kitchen, you can cook in the barbie. And in fact, many people believe that, not, that food not only tastes better on a barbie, but it's also better for you as well. As normally, there's a much greater diversity of food available. In fact, you can really just about barbie anything from a brisket to a baked Alaska. Yeah, you can even do that. And, every, and pretty much everything in between. And that, of course, includes vegetables fruit and plant-based meat alternatives, whether burgers, sausages or whatever. Indeed, if the current trend continues, we could well see a position where up to half of all food cooked on the barbie is vegetables, fruit or plant-based meat alternatives. I think it's going to be a big but flexitarian market. And what about this year? I guess there were some big plans that have had to go on the back burner for the uh, Awareness Week, Brian. Well, this year everything has changed with the pandemic, lockdown and social distancing. Normally, the week features barbecue roadshows which tour the country. But of course, we can't do that now. So bearing in mind that there are so many pandemic heroes out there all trying to help, we felt that we just had to do our bit. So we created Barbie for Britain, which is a week-long event aiming to bring the nation together, have a barbecue and share on social as a means of saying thank you to the NHS, carers, frontline and supermarket staff, as well as supporting those poor vulnerable people who are struggling as a result of the pandemic. So what we're asking people to do is to have a barbie, video it, share it on our social page, facebook.com slash National BBQ Week 2020, and also donate to either NHS Together or Fair Share COVID-19 appeals on our website. Thanks, Brian. The weather has certainly been on your side this week for enjoying a barbecue. So that brings this episode to a close. I'm Catherine Lynch. Thanks for listening. And if you've not done so already, please do subscribe by the App Store or any other major podcast platform. We continue to donate as Pinstone to NHS Together and our local food bank. So keep spreading the word. Meantime, enjoy the barbecues this weekend.